Thank you, Stephanie. Joshua. Well, I apologize. My voice may be a little bit rough this morning. Um, we were with uh, all the kids for Thanksgiving, and they talked me into playing football outside on Friday. And so I was screaming and uh, having a good time out there. Um, so my voice is a little rough this morning, but... Um, but my body's not in bad shape, so that's good, because um, I was just a quarterback. I didn't tackle. I didn't run around as much, so arms a little sore, but the rest of my body's fine. So anyway, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's pray together, and we'll get into God's Word. Gracious Father, thank you that we can come to you because of Jesus. And just as we, we just heard songs. We can come in our brokenness, in our unworthiness, in our unfaithfulness. We can come to you because you have provided for us all that we need to be forgiven, to be brought into the family, welcomed. And now part of the family because of Jesus. And so today, Lord, we ask that you would be pleased to take us to a, a, a greater understanding. And particularly for those who may be confused, who may not fully understand the, the significance of this time of year and, and why we celebrate this baby in the manger. Would you remind us what this is all about? Remind us of where our hope lies. Thank you, Father, for the gift of life, the gift of hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2015, the New York Times did a, an in-depth interview with Larry King, which revealed a lot about his life and career. But what really stood out from this interview was his uh, infatuation or his uh, being consumed with the with his own mortality. His plan was to avoid death by opting for the uh, cryogenics. As the story goes, he had arranged to have his body frozen and then thought out one day when researchers discovered a cure for whatever killed him. So he could be brought back to life. King goes on to tell the New York Times writer the the people behind cryonics are all nuts, but at least, at least if I know I'll be frozen, I will die with a shred of hope. And then he said this, because other people have no hope. Some of you know Larry King died this past January. How sad it is that he entered into eternity with no real hope. Because his body may be frozen in some, some lab somewhere, but his soul 
has entered into eternity without Christ, without hope. Which leads to the question, what is hope and what in the world does it have to do with Christmas? The dictionary.com defines hope this way. It is the feeling that what is wanted can be had. <clears throat> or that events will turn out for the best. Warren Wearsby calls it a hope-so hope. It's a, well, I, I'm really hopeful this thing's going to turn out. Things kind of look that way, but I, I have no real assurance, no real confidence, except that I'm really hoping that it happens. It's a hope-so hope. The biblical concept of hope is what Wearsby calls a no-so hope. It's a hope that is based in confidence and expectation. In fact, the complete word study dictionary of the New Testament defines the biblical word for hope is this way. It's the desire of some good with the expectation of obtaining it. There's an expectation, there's a confidence of getting what is the thing we are hoping for. And that expectation, that confidence is based upon our trust in the Word of God and the God who, who wrote it or who said it. Our confidence is in God, in what God has said. It's a sure and certain hope. That's the hope of the Bible. Not a hope-so hope, but a no-so hope. So what does this have to do with Christmas? If Christ had not come to earth in human flesh, then we would have no hope of eternal life. We would have no basis for this hope. We would simply have a hope-so hope. Many people, that's all they have. They may go to church every week, but if you push them on, where is your confidence? Do you know for certain that you're going to be with the Lord when you die? And they say, well, I hope so. Biblical hope is a no-so hope. So we can say, as the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 1 verse 1 he says that Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is our hope. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to a statement the Apostle Paul made in Colossians 1. If you would open your Bibles to Colossians 1 if you haven't already. Because this verse becomes the foundation of what I want to share with you today about our hope. It has to do with this time of year. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 24 down to verse 27, though there's a phrase in verse 27 that we'll want to focus upon. But I want to make sure to give us a little context. And, and this is the, the one uh, struggle or difficulty of doing a topical message. Uh, the tendency is when we do a topical message is to just pull verses from different places and, the, and the, uh, we could potentially pull them out of context. So we want to make sure, and we're going to move around in the scripture a few places this morning, want to make sure that we read enough of the text to understand the context. 
so that we make sure that what we're saying is not is not just pulling things out. We want to want to make sure that's what the Bible actually says. Colossians 1, verse 24, down to verse 27, Paul is writing, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And what he means by that is not that there's something lacking in what Christ did through his affliction, but the affliction um, of walking or suffering for Christ's sake in the body itself. He said, of this church, verse 25, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints. Uh, and a mystery that was veiled in the Old Testament is now being revealed in the New. Okay, verse 28, I'm 20, 27. Uh, he manifested to his saints, verse 27, to whom, he said, to the saints, God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among, among the Gentiles, non-Jews. And it is this, the mystery of this a gospel of the Gentiles is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, which is the hope of glory. John MacArthur, in commenting on this, on this phrase, says this. Of all the mysteries God has revealed in the New Testament, the most profound is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Old Testament predicted the coming of Messiah. But the idea that he would actually live in his redeemed church, made up mostly of Gentiles, was not revealed in the Old Testament. The New Testament is clear that Christ, by the Holy Spirit, takes up permanent residence in all believers. The revelation of the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles awaited the New Testament. Believers, both Jew and Gentile, now possess the surpassing riches of the indwelling Christ. The church is described as the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 2 Corinthians 6.16 that Christ indwells all believers as the source for their hope of glory. And it's the subject or theme of the gospel ministry. What makes the gospel attractive is not just that it promises present joy and help, which it does, but it promises eternal honor, blessing, and glory. When Christ comes to live in a believer, his presence is the anchor of the promise of heaven, the guarantee of future bliss eternally. And the reality that Christ is living in the Christian is the experience of new life and hope of eternal glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This hope that we have is a present hope. Jesus is our present hope. Christ in you right now by faith. 
If you know Christ personally as your Savior, Christ through His Spirit dwells in you. He's inside of us. Wherever we go, He goes. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit in us. As we think about Christmas, I want to make two statements that, that reveal or help us understand the significance of this present hope. The first is, because Jesus came, we are saved by faith and not by works. We are saved by faith, not by works. In other words, we do not have to seek to live up to a standard of perfection in our flesh that is impossible to achieve. Instead, we live with the hope, that sure and certain hope, that Jesus Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law on our behalf by paying the price that we deserve to pay. We don't live our lives with this constant fear that I'm not living up to the standard, that I am not good enough, that I can't achieve something. And so we live with this constant concern. No, because of Christ and His coming and what He accomplished here, we live by faith, not by works. <coughs> Excuse me. We find this in the New Testament book of Galatians, chapter uh, 3. And you may remember, when we went through the book of Galatians, we emphasized this throughout the book because it was Paul's main emphasis as he was comparing uh, the insufficiency of the law and uh, as far as being able to save us because we couldn't keep it and the gospel of Christ and His coming. But let me just read for you Galatians 3, 10 through 14. And as I read it, I will kind of elaborate a little <coughs> on what's going on here. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, that is, those who are striving to trust in and keep the law as their means of salvation are under a curse. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. In other words, if you're going to try and keep the law to be saved, you've got to keep all of it in every minute detail. And there's no one that's ever been able to do that save Jesus himself. And so we're under this curse. Verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for, again he quotes Old Testament, for the righteous man shall live by what? By faith, not by works, by faith. However, verse 12, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. You're going to practice the law as a means of salvation, and you live by that, and you die by that. And then verse 13, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Christ provided the purchase price, the redemption price for us by taking the curse of the law and the consequences of not living up to the law upon himself 
and he died in our place on the tree on uh, Mount Calvary. In order that, verse 14, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, you and I, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through what? Through faith. Because Jesus came, we are saved by faith and not by works, not by keeping the law. We also see in Romans chapter 8, we'll only read a few of the verses here, but in Romans 8, he reiterates this, starting with verse 1. Romans 8, verse 1. <clears throat> he says, there is therefore now, because Christ has come, and this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law, that Old Testament law, could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son, the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So Jesus Christ did what the law could not do for us. And in doing that, the requirement of the law was fulfilled in us because of our faith in Christ. So we do not walk around trying to earn our salvation or even keep it by our good works. That's not to say good works aren't important. Good works, our outward works, are the evidence of genuine faith. I don't know about you, if you've ever experienced this before, maybe in the workplace or whatever, where no matter what you do, it's never good enough. Right? No matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into something, the person who's, who is, uh, maybe it's a boss or whatever, it's never quite good enough. That's very discouraging. And you find yourself constantly uh, uh, bothered or, or worried or concerned about trying to do better and do better so that you can meet the standard. Um, I remember in high school, this is kind of how I went through my middle school and high school years. I always felt like there was, there was a class I missed one that everybody else went to that they just kind of understand what's going on. And I, I missed it, right? Because I was always wondering... Why is it? I work really hard and I still get, you know, average or below average grade. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, I had older siblings who, who though they were not in any way deficient mentally or, or capable, they struggled with the system and could not get good grades. And so they were like close to failing. And so when I came along with B's and C's, man, I was like, hey, this guy really knows what he's doing. But I, I could do that without any effort. And see, I worked hard, and I still got B's and C's. If I didn't work hard, I still got B's and C's. So guess what I did? I didn't work hard. Because by working hard and still getting below average or average grades made me feel bad about myself. 
If I didn't work hard and got below average, I could always tell myself, well, if I would have tried hard, I could have done better. But there's always that I'm not good enough. I can't get to be good enough. And there's always that, that struggle. When we don't understand what Christ has done for us, we live under that cloud continually of, I've got to do better. I've got to work harder. And every time one little thing does not go our way in this world, we think, well, God's getting me because I'm not good enough. But if we understand that Jesus was good enough for us, He took care of it, and we rest in that, then we're able to go out and live with that freedom that I'm not earning my salvation. It is by faith, not by my works. Which leads to the second point, and that is because Jesus came, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't look around at the world and try and make sense of what's going on by the things going on in the world. We go to the Word of God and we trust the Word of God by faith and what God says. That's how we live our lives. Based upon the Word of God. Not the thinking, not the things of this society. Because we're not worrying about earning our salvation, we can then focus our attention upon pleasing the Lord, the one who provided us this grace, this salvation. It's a willing obedience rather than a coerced obligation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 for a moment where we find this phrase, we walk by faith and not by sight. The Apostle Paul is talking about um, we live in this tent, this this body, and one one day we'll be removed from this tent. Like he said in Philippians about, you know, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, I'd rather it be better for me if I just depart and be with Christ. But for your sake, I'm going to stay a little longer because I know if I stay, it'll mean fruitful labor for me and it will be better for you. And he's, he's in that, that struggle that we looked at uh, a few weeks back when we were in Philippians. Um, he's kind of wrestling with that here with this in this tent and all that. And then he says, verse 5, now he who prepared us for this... For this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, here in this place, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, I say. Prefer rather to be absent from the body than to be home with the Lord. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. He says, whether we are in this tent now or whether we are departed from this tent and with the Lord, in either case, our ambition is simply this, to be found pleasing to God. When we know that our salvation is based on Christ and not our works, we can relax and then we can focus upon living in such a way that our lives are pleasing to the one who extended that grace. From a, a desire of a heart, from a willing heart, not from an obligation that I've got to somehow live up to some standard that I can never live up to. This past week uh, weekend, uh, we were... Uh, with my mom and her home, and all of our kids were there. It was such a wonderful thing to celebrate Thanksgiving together as a family. But there was another family with us. 
And I don't want to go through the whole story, but uh, give you the highlights here if I can. Uh, it was a, a, a guy who uh, I was in high school with. He was a, a grade ahead of me. Um, he had an incredibly difficult home life. Um, parents split up when he was very little. Mom left. Dad was an alcoholic, never around, didn't have anything, hardly ever to eat, didn't have much clothing. I mean, I didn't know all, any of this, you know, growing up. Um, and he wasn't necessarily my friend. I just knew of him. We kind of, but it wasn't much of a relationship there. But my brother, my older brother and his older sister began to date. And, and he would come to our house with his sister for dinner periodically. Apparently, as he tells me, more than I remember. And though he didn't talk about this then, he, he shared with us now how incredible that was for him. He said, I'd heard about families that sat down at the dinner table together and, and talked, where parents talked to the children about what their day was like. I'd heard about that, but I didn't know what was real until I came to your house. He was quiet and kind of reserved, and so he just sat there and listened and watched. And he, just, he was just amazed that this, this was real. Of course, at the time, I had no idea. I just, he was here with his sister. I, I didn't really pay much attention to it. Well, he graduated um, barely, last in his class, as you can imagine. <laughs> he went off to, to, to military, to basic training. And I graduated and went off to college. And, and I did not know the significance of what happened after that. When he came back from basic training, he had nowhere to go. So he came to my parents' house. And he stayed with my parents. Slept in my bed. I just found that out. Like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but he, he came, and, and my parents brought him in. And never once treated him like he was somehow this, this kid that was second class or anything. In fact, he said one time, he said I was there. He always called my dad Chief. My mom, mom, but he called him Chief. And he said, Chief told me one, that one evening, he said, Hey, Todd, come into my office. And he said, oh, I knew I was in trouble. Because every time someone told me to go to the office, I was in trouble, right? He said, he brought me in his office, and he sat down for two hours. He shared the gospel with me. He said, I got saved. This was a kid that <clears throat> when he was in, I think he was 15, ran away from home, hitchhiked around the country for, I think, what did you say, three, three, six months? Nobody reported him missing. Nobody looked for him. He had nothing. Nobody. Even though my brother and his sister did not, they, they split up. Parents welcomed him into our home and treated him like a son. And, and he, <clears throat> he went to college, got a degree, got a master's degree, and just recently finished a doctorate. All through the military, went all these times through the military. Just recently retired from the military. Uh, went through a, a difficult marriage. He really wasn't walking with the Lord for many of those years. Uh, went through a divorce. And then re remarried about seven years ago. And they have a little daughter, five-year-old daughter. And he decided for the first time since that time where he saw our family, his new wife's family, you know, because he kind of, Got, met her and then kind of recommitted himself to kind of following the Lord. And they got married. And, 
uh, her father's a pastor, and, and so he said, I saw another family like, like the Echoes. And he said, and I thought, I want my daughter to have a family. So he reconnected with my mom. My mom invited him to Thanksgiving. And they had a wonderful time. I got another brother, another sister-in-law, and another niece. How wonderful it is to be, to be brought into a family, right, welcomed in. Not because you deserve it, but because your parent extended grace. Said, I want you to be part of this family. And here's a, here's a guy who, who often would think throughout his life when he, was, when he was looking at things, looking at opportunities to do bad things, and of course the military kept him in line in many ways. I always remember, what would chief think of me? What would mom say? If they found out I did this or did that. I don't want to do anything to displease them. Because of the relationship that was established because of the grace that was extended. And when we sat around the table, he wanted to tell all my kids about this. He said, I tell everybody this story about the echoes, about how the echoes saved my life. And all of, most of that I had no idea. My parents didn't, didn't brag about it. They didn't say, oh, yeah, we did nothing. They just did it. My point in sharing that is simply this, that when you've been extended grace, when you understand you've been extended grace, you want to do things that please those who've extended that grace to you. You don't do it out of obligation. You don't say, oh, now I've got to be a good person. Now I've got to make sure that they like me. Make... No. I was given grace and no way could I have earned it. Therefore, I want to live in such a way that my life is pleasing to them. And when we understand the gospel, we understand what Christ has done, that we are saved by, by what Christ did, and that we, we receive it by faith, not by our works, then we walk by that faith. We trust Him, and we want to please Him with our lives. One last passage in this section, 1 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> How do we live with this hope so that others who are ready for, to share this hope with others when, when the time comes? 1 Peter 3 verse 15 tells us, Let me start with verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But do this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for what? For the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. 
In order for us to live this kind of life, a response to grace, we need to, we need to make Christ Lord in our hearts. We need to sanctify, I mean set apart. We need to set Christ apart as Lord in our life. We cannot live for ourselves and also for Christ. We cannot live to please ourselves and also to please Christ. We've got to choose. This is not an earning of our salvation. Salvation is the gift. We receive it by faith. But when we understand that, we have a choice. Do I live for myself? In a sense, disrespecting the, the grace that was extended to me, or do I live for Christ and let Him be the Lord of my life and honor Him who extended grace? And when we do that, Peter says, we are ready to make a defense, to, to share with others the reason we have hope. Christ is Lord in our life. Jesus is our present hope. We live with that hope. I don't earn this relationship. It was a gift. And now I want to live it as Christ is Lord. And to let the hope that I have be made known. Not only is Jesus our present hope, He is our future hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory the hope of glory. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 3 through 5, Peter talks about this future hope, this hope of glory. He says, verses 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's great mercy extended to us, so causing us to be born again into the family of God to a living hope through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. To obtain, verse 4, an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. A future hope. Who, referring back to you, right? Reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A future hope. And so we see because Jesus came, because, we, uh, because of His coming and taking on human flesh, we are, pr we are promised an inheritance. We are promised a future hope, an inheritance which is imperishable. That is, it will never die. It will never cease to be. It's unfading in that it does not, I'm sorry, it's undefiled in that it will not in any way uh, uh, be corrupted. It will not fade away. It will never lose the new car smell, if you will. 
and it is reserved in heaven. That word reserved means it is uh, um, promised, it is protected, it is there for us, waiting us. And so our salvation that is bought by Jesus Christ through his life, death, and, and resurrection, <clears throat> received by faith, is kept for us by God himself in glory, waiting our arrival. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that the, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that inheritance. Right? The moment that we hear the gospel of Christ, having believed, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, he says. The Spirit of Christ that comes to dwell in us, the moment we put our faith in Christ for salvation, is the guarantee that he's going to take us all the way there. And that's why it's a promised inheritance. It's, it's promised to us because in our, in our, our pro, the promise is the word of God and we hold to that. That's why it's a sure and certain hope, a confident expectation because it's based upon what God says and who God is. And the second thing this passage tells us is that because Jesus came, we are protected by God. <clears throat> we are protected by God, by the power of God. Right? Who are protected by the power of God. How powerful is God? He's almighty. There are powerful forces in the spirit world, but there's only one who is all powerful. And that is the one we serve, the one we love, the one who saved us. It was God's power that saved us through the work of Christ, not our good works. It is God's power that keeps us, not our good works. Right? The things we do after coming to know Christ, again, are the evidence of faith. And that's why James says that we are justified by works and not by faith alone. What he's talking about, not is that we do something to earn it, he's saying that genuine faith produces works, evidence. So it's not that we base our trust in what we do, and we base our trust in what Christ did. We live then out of that, and as the Holy Spirit works in us, He produces fruit, evidence of that in our lives. We are protected, secure by God. <clears throat> our inheritance is waiting for us, protected by God, and we ourselves are protected by the power of God. So Jesus is our hope. <clears throat> That's why, we, sell, why we, we have hope at Christmas. That's why that first candle is the candle of hope. So the bottom line is simply this, that Jesus is our hope both now and forevermore. Now in that we don't walk around thinking we've got to somehow live up to this. It's given to us. Relax. You're part of the family. You did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it, but you're part of the family because of the grace of God. 
extended to you through Christ. Now live with a desire in your heart to please the one who extended that grace. And let me just say this, that if we didn't, because we're, we're told in Philippians, right, God is at work in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, to will, to give us the desire, and to produce that in our lives. If we don't have that, then, our, then what we need to do is we've got to go back and say, what am I missing about the gospel? Am I not understanding this correctly? Uh, I need to spend more time dwelling upon what Christ did for me so that I can understand it better, so that, so that if I'm not really saved, I can understand it and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help me get that so that I can put my trust in Christ. But even if I'm saved, I need to understand it better because the understanding of that will produce that sense of confidence that will then allow me to relax and live for the glory of God and the power of His Spirit. And then certainly, as we look ahead, we know there is waiting for us an inheritance that God has for us. We are going to be there because God is holding on to us. So relax and live for Christ and the power of His Spirit until the day He calls you home. That is our hope in the now as well as in the future. Let's pray. <clears throat> our gracious Father, we, we acknowledge And our hope is, is only in Jesus. Because of what He did for us. I pray that something that was shared here today will encourage every believer who in the hearing of my voice will encourage us in our faith, in our walk with Christ. Also pray for those who may be listening who do not have that relationship yet. They feel like they're that, that child that is from a broken family. There's so much brokenness and so much dysfunction. Why would God want me in the family? But He does. He can redeem our lives. He can heal the brokenness. He can build us up into the person He wants us to be. If we will trust Him. If we will look to Him. God, I pray that person is wrestling right now with this and contemplating this reality. Could it really be true? Would God really want me part of His family? Whoever that is, know this, that God knows everything about you. And He still loves you. He still sent His Son to die for you so that you could be part of His family. May we all 
be struck by that reality. May we come humbly and gratefully before your throne, renewing our commitment to follow Christ as Lord of our lives. Lord, this Christmas, as we go through this season, as we've gone through many, many in the past, we will be inundated by all kinds of fluff, all kinds of stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus. Some of it's fun, some of it's whatever. But Lord, we pray that we would keep our focus, our heart focus on Jesus. That you might give us opportunity this coming month of December to to initiate a conversation, a, a connection with somebody in order to share the hope that we have because of Christ. So that there aren't so many like Larry King putting their hope in the wrong things and entering into eternity with no real hope. <laughs> Lord, you've entrusted this message of hope to us. May we be faithful to make it known to others. For we ask it in Christ's name.